Hey, uh, just uh, catching up on a couple things together. First off, man, I, can, I don't even know how to say thank you enough. Thank you, thank you, thank you for you guys praying. I, here, here's what you need to know. I got to go to your staff and say, I've got the mind praying for the sermon series. And I, I just can't even tell you how much that encouraged your staff. So then your staff got all motivated, and they're all in here going, man, we're going to be secret agents too, and we're going to go pray during the sermon series. And then on Sunday morning, we were back here, and all the people that are volunteering in the back, I'm going, okay, we got secret agents all over this place, and you got to be secret agents and do this. And so it was, just, it was just a blast to know that we were doing that together. And guys, I, I don't know about you, I have never seen a response to a giving message like what we had going on Sunday. I mean, that was, that was wild. So I'm... Okay, so I'm telling you two real quick stories about. First off, I, we get done with the first hour, and and I go in the back, and the camera crew decided they didn't want to show people's faces. They were kind of freaked out about that. Thought that'd be weird for people, you know, they're coming forward, doing the widow's walk thing, and so they didn't do it. Well, I go to the back, and I'm watching the TV in the back, and I'm going, no one is coming forward I, because all they were showing is shots of Brian. And I'm going, okay, so this has been the worst sermon of my life. No one's responding to this. We got three more services like this. This is painful on the deal. So after like three, four minutes of just thinking, okay, so apparently, you know, I don't know. It was bad. I walk out here behind the curtain, and one of the gals that works back there uh, was peeking through the curtain, and I just said, is anybody going forward and she goes there's hundreds and hundreds you know and it but it was just it was cool but i got to i was freaked for about three and a half minutes uh back there the other uh story around this is um when we got ready to order the widow's mites that was a big decision for us because they really are ancient coins i mean it's a real two thousand year old coin and they're about 10 bucks a piece and because we're in financially we just said that's you know that's order 50 of those or 100 of those that's a big decision and so there was a lot of discussion going on, and I had said in the room, I said, look, guys, the only people we're giving those to are people who aren't tithing who say, I'm going to start tithing. And I said, and, you know, and it, just by virtue of walking up, you're kind of admitting, I haven't been tithing. And you know, I, I said, if we get 50 people all day long to walk up, th- this is going to be a really good Sunday. And my staff kept going, look, um, we think more than 50 people are going to walk up. We think it's going to, and I said, guys, this is tithing. They're not going to, there's not going to be more than 50. And my staff kept pushing and pushing and said, Lince, we ended up ordering 150 coins. And so now I'm in the staff meeting and I said, guys, look, if we don't get 150, I don't want anyone disappointed. I, I'm just, I, 150, that's crazy. And uh, some of the staff said, Lynn, there's going to be more than 150 people walk forward. And I said, if 150 people walk forward, I'm going to dance. And uh, so we get to the second service on Sunday, and we run out of mites. So now we're handing out I owe you a mite cards to everybody when they walk forward. And, uh, but we got to staff today, and I was hoping everybody would forget. And, of course, you know, uh, Andy Castano goes, hey, uh, Lynn, you're forgetting something? And I said, I don't think I am. And he goes, yeah, yeah. So I did the ugliest dance you've ever seen in your life in staff meeting today. Uh, women fainted in horror, um, but uh, it, you know what? It was worth it. But you know, all I to say, guys, man, thank you. Thank you for praying. I, I think that conversation that you and I just had is a big one. I don't, I don't think anybody does that conversation lightly. And the idea that our church, I think, kind of got serious about it and thought about it and moved it. 
I think it says something about what God is doing in our church right now. And I, I mean, I'm excited about that. We've got a great series coming up right now that's called Grateful. I think that's going to be a super fun series. And then uh, early uh, 2011, right in January, we're going to do, the whole church is going to do Experiencing God uh, together. H- how many of you guys have done Experiencing God? Okay, so those of you who done it kind of know what we're in for. It's actually, it's a remarkable Bible study. I'm telling you, it's a great one. We're going to do it from up here on stage, but we're going to invite people to do it in small groups. We're going to invite people to do it in small churches and, and just have the entire church engaged in, in a same conversation about experiencing God. So I, I just think God's got some cool stuff going on for us right now. So all that to say, um, guys, if, if, if what we did on Sunday is what we do, if what we did on Sunday is what we do, Man, we, we just we just slam dunked it. I mean, we all the what if and what could. I mean, we just changed the whole conversation. If what we said is what we do on Sunday, so man, I'm proud and I can't tell you how thankful I am to be serving with people like you and and thank you for praying and a very 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 cool moment. Uh, I think for our church on the deal. Yeah, and I'll cl- I'll clap with you. I, I thought it was really really good. I am supposed to remind you that next uh, Tuesday is no, is, is, we're not doing the mine because it's Thanksgiving week. So we're not doing the mine. We're doing the mine the very following week. Please don't get confused. But because next week is Thanksgiving week, we are not doing the mine. Um, oh, and then someone asked about uh, what's going on with refinancing. Uh, here's the deal on refinancing. What they're telling us, we've got a decision to make. The bank, in my understanding, has come back and said, we'll refinance you. We will do it. And I'm just telling you guys, that would be great because interest rates are so low right now. That would be a fantastic thing. Here's the one caveat, and this is why we've got to uh, think about whether or not we're going to do it. Um, they said, but you, your buildings have to appraise so that you're only borrowing 75% against the value of your buildings. This is Chandler. So I, and I, I think if all you guys think about, if you had to go get your house appraised right now, where would it appraise? I, so we're, I guess I would have to say to you, I'm, I'm hesitant to think that we could, our value would be that much above the loan value right now, given Chandler, Arizona, 2011. So we're going to have to decide, do we go ahead and pay for an appraisal, hoping that it comes back favorable? And the reason that's all the decision is because in a complex this size, you start getting into commercial appraisals, all that, and they're telling us it's going to be somewhere around eight to ten thousand dollars to get an appraisal. So you're 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 putting some money out, hoping for the right answer, and if it's the wrong answer, then you're out the money. So your elders are praying about that, thinking about whether or not they want to take that exploratory move. The other side of it is the bank seems to be saying to us, appraisal comes in, we'll do the loan. So that's where we're at on that. Okay. Um, that was all of them. Oh, one more thing I want to try and do tonight. I, sometimes I think we get uh, some questions and things that maybe not everybody in the room has that same question. So here's what I'm gonna, I'd like for us to try to do tonight. I've asked Mike to go ahead and stop us about 10 minutes early. So here's my thought. If we get some questions that, that we go, you know what, that's probably a better question to just put on the end because m- most of us already know that answer or maybe it's not something that interests all of us. And then we'll go ahead and you know, we'll be done with Bible study about 10 minutes early. And then if you are interested in staying for the deferred questions, then you can stay. We'll take that last 10 minutes, answer those deferred questions. But it'll save some of us from maybe going over stuff that we already know really well or have already heard before. We'll push those to the back. Does that make sense?
Yes? No? Okay. All right. You hate it. Okay, good. All right. Let's, let's have a word of prayer. We'll dig in. We've actually been making progress in Ephesians. We may get out of Ephesians in 2012. Okay, here we go. Let's pray. Hey, Lord, thank you for uh, today, and thank you for what you're doing. Thank you for Sunday, and God, just a sense that you were having real heart conversations with us, and you were asking us just to kind of step up and say, hey, I'm, I'm serious enough in my walk with God that I'm willing to show that in my obedience and in my behavior and God, I, I just thank you for a church that rose to that moment and had that conversation. And God, I, I believe, gave an answer that brought a smile to your face. And uh, thank you. Thank you for this place and for what your spirit is doing here and for lives that are being changed. And God, just the privilege of being cornerstone. God, would you be with us tonight and help us as we go through your word to stay true to your word, to not allow man's ideas to get in the way, but instead to get right down to the heart of what you're saying. And then God, change us, change our lives. In this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, here we go. I've got Ephesians chapter 3. I think we kind of got down to about verse 7. Six? We got done? Did we finish six? Yes, no? Let's go look. Here we go. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 6. Okay, well, well, we'll backtrack to that. All right. This is a mystery, is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and sharers together in the promise in Christ. And we said any time in Scripture, uh, and it begins to refer to the mystery, or that which was not seen, or that which was not understood, you're going to come down to two conversations. One of them is what? What's the mystery? Okay, we're going to put my thing on the screen. Yes? No? Yes. Okay. Salvation for the Gentiles. Okay, and what I'm going to include in that, okay, is the whole idea of the church. Uh, That was just absolutely an unthought of, boy, that's bad, unthought of idea. That's church there. Okay. Um, And so very often when you get stretching, you go, okay, it's probably a reference to the church. What's the other potential reference when it says, this is the thing that was not seen, it's the thing that was not understood, What's the other possibility? It's the cross. Okay? The, in, in the Hebrew mind, no matter, no matter how much foreshadowing, we've talked about this, no matter how many glimpses God gives them in the Old Testament, they did not get there. They completely missed the conversation. And it, it, it literally is after the cross when the light bulbs go on. Matter of fact, just to give you an instance of it, remember, remember when Jesus is teaching, he's got crowds and they're coming and they're going and it says, and some believed and some followed and then they fell away and all, all this stuff is going on. Acts chapter 2, you get to the day of Pentecost. Peter gets up and preaches. And basically Peter's message is, hey, the Messiah has come. And the Jews all go, what, what in the world are you talking? What do you mean the Messiah has come? And then Peter's answer is, and you hung him on a cross 50 days ago. And it's if all of a sudden the light bulbs go on for the Jewish nation. And what does the Bible say happens on that day? 
3,000 men, and it says they began to rip their robes and say, what do we do then if we just killed Messiah? And that's where Peter says, repent, let's get baptized, and let's start this thing called the church. But you realize they catch on a day late and a dollar short in the conversation, and they miss the idea of the cross until the cross has already happened. Okay, so anytime you hear the mystery hidden or that which they did not understand or that which was hidden, then it's either salvation to the Gentiles through the church or it's the cross in that conversation. Okay, all right, here we go. Verse seven, I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given to me through the working of his power. And we said, remember when, uh, Paul had started this conversation. He started out saying, I'm a slave. And the reason he said he was a slave was why? No, I'm sorry. He said, I'm a prisoner, didn't he? He said, I'm a prisoner. Why did he say I'm a prisoner? Because he was in jail. He literally was physically a prisoner. Now he shifts language. He shifts the title that he gives himself. And he says, I am a servant of Jesus Christ. Why does he use that terminology? What did we say? Anybody remember? I'm a bond servant. Matter of fact, Second uh, Corinthians chapter six says, "Hey, don't you understand this? That you were what? Bought with a price. And that that language is an accidental language. He's saying, "Hey, you were purchased. You were." And by all rights, you and I are God's slaves. We are God's servants purchased by Jesus' death on the cross. He owns us. Okay? Matter of fact, grab your Bibles real quick. Go with me to Romans chapter 12. Most of you will know this passage. Go to Romans chapter 12. It's going to be to your left. We may have touched on this a little bit last week. Therefore, it's Romans chapter 12, starting in verse 1. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, in view of what Jesus did on the cross, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Anybody know what the King James says in that passage? It is the reasonable thing to do. He's saying, look, look, you've got to understand. There was a transaction that happened at the cross. You were purchased. You come into this relate. You come in having been bought. And think about the culture. Think about the. They're talking about buying a slave, buying a servant. And he says you've been bought by Christ. So when Paul here says, "I am Jesus's servant," what is he saying? What do you think he intends to, for you and I to get from that? Huh? Got to turn it on. Okay, so he bought him with his life. What does that mean about our status? Okay, let me go a different direction. If you and I are his servant, if you and I are God's slave, what should obedience look like at that point? How often does a servant talk back to the master? How often? 
How often does the servant say, hey, whoa, 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 Look, what you just asked is unreasonable. See, I, you know, I don't think that's in the fine print of my contract. I, I, you know, I, I didn't have no expectation that it was going to be that way when I started this. And, you know, I think we ought to renegotiate. How often does a slave do that? See, the reason I'm saying that, it is mystifying to me that once you and I come into Christ, that we argue with God over issues of obedience. How, how is that possible? How is it possible that you and I ever look at a verse in the Bible and say, God, you know, if I was God, I wouldn't have written that one. And, and, and if I were you, I, I think that one's outdated. You didn't quite figure out the 21st century. I think I'm going to pass. If you and I understand that you and I were bought from death and that you and I are now the servants, the bond slaves of God, what, what slave argues with his master? Isn't that interesting? I think it's interesting that Paul, now think about this, think about it from this direction. If you're going to put Christians on a scale of 1 to 10, okay, as far as dedicated to God, sold his life out, did what he was supposed to do, where does Paul rate on a scale of 1 to 10 as far as followers of Jesus? Like a 15, right? And Paul gives himself what title? Servant. And I'm just going to say out loud, guys, if Paul is saying, look, look, look here, I'm a servant of the Most High. You and I surely have that title, right? You and I certainly have that obligation. Matter of fact, let me, let me give you um, another verse to look at. Here we go. It's, it's 1 Peter. Let's go to the right a little bit. 1 Peter chapter 2. Here we go. It's 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 16. Here's what it says. Live as free men, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as, next word, servants of God. Okay? So clearly, you and I, servants. Now, okay, here we go. We're going to burn your brain a little bit. Go with me to Romans chapter 8. Here we go. Romans chapter 8, starting in verse 15. Here's what it says. But you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear. But you received the spirit of sonship. So he said, whoa, 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 whoa. He just says, hey, wait, wait, wait. You, you, you're, you're not slaves. You're sons. How does that work? How do I have Paul on one side saying, hey, 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 you're servants of God, Peter's saying, live as a servant. And now all of a sudden in Romans, it's saying, whoa, 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 you didn't receive a spirit of slavery. You didn't receive that. You received a spirit of sonship. How does that work? How does, how does that add up? Because I like the sonship part about better than the servant part. I don't know about you. How does this work? Okay, so as children are to be obedient to our parents the same way. Matter of fact, I think it is First Peter that says, as long as the heir is still a child, he's just like a servant in his parents' household. Okay, so maybe. Yep. Well, being a son, 
<coughs> he makes us a son. Okay. We're, we're his servants. We give ourselves to him, and he accepts us as his sons. We can't mm-hmm. make ourselves his sons. Okay. I like that. I think we're close. Could it be that the son being a son is a spiritual side? And the servant is our human side? Say it again. That being a son is our spiritual place in heaven. Okay. Our spiritual relationship with God. But the servant part is that our, our, human, our humanity? Hmm. Um, could servants be, uh, Pastor Lynn, uh, the works that we do for the Lord that he pre-planned for us to do in sonship that brings us into being heirs with Christ? It's uh, one is one is what the works he's pre you know he pre planned for us to do the good works he pre planned for okay. us to do as servants uh, and then sons are we're heirs with Christ it's 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 a higher level it is a higher level so here, here's what I'm trying to I'm struggling with a servant and a son are different right I mean servants aren't sons and sons sons really aren't servants. How can you and I be both? Yep. Okay. I think it goes back to the um, discussion on adoption in the first place. To be a son of God, you have to say, I believe in you. And when you make that choice, you're adopted into God's family. And when you're adopted into into God's family, you restore the order that he intended in the first place, father to son. And in that world and in our world, there is obedience to the Father from the Son. And, the, and I think he's using the slave and servant in, the, in a, a, a sort of a metaphorical sense to say that your obedience is like this. And you will come of age, and ha- you know, and, and, and life goes on. So I think it's it's reading into it a little more than we're reading here. Okay. I think we're close. My first, my first thought was that um, Jesus was a full son of God, and he had to die on a cross, a horrible death. So I'm not really sure that there's necessarily a huge hmm. positive and negative view yeah. of each word. And isn't it interesting that Jesus spends his life as a matter of fact, isn't it interesting that Jesus says, Hey, I came not to be served, but to serve. And yet he was the son. Okay, real quick. And then I'm going to see if we can get us there. I was just going to say, I think the difference in terminology, I believe in Roman culture, wasn't it custom that if you were adopted, you lose all rights of your old family and gain all rights and heirs of the family family. you're adopted to. Yeah. And that might be yeah. the difference terminology. No, I think that is playing into the, All right, so how many of you have seen the deeply theological movie Prince of Persia? Huh? Okay, all right. So, and I think, I think right there you get the answer to this conversation. So how many remember that it, it's Distin? Is that his name? The, the boy running through the marketplace that gets adopted? Is that his name? Dustin. Dustin. All right, anyways... There's, all right, so if you've never seen the deeply theological movie Prince of Persia, which apparently I haven't either, but um, uh, there's a, a young kind of street beggar boy, and he's uh, in the marketplace. One day, the king of Persia and his two sons 
are riding through the marketplace. He has just happened to steal something from one of the market vendors there. He's running away, and in the process of running away, he runs into the king's kind of caravan going through the marketplace. Uh, The king is so impressed with his ingenuity, he says, bring him to my palace. In that moment, he's being brought to the king's palace with full expectation of being a slave. And by every right. And then the king announces and says, I'm going to make you a son. That's, I think, exactly what Scripture is saying. By all rights... You and I were bought, and by all rights, you and I come to this relationship, and we deserve nothing else than to be a slave. And in that moment, God turns and says, but I will make you a son. And here's what I'm just wondering, kind of true to the movie. You know, the, the two brothers that were there, and they were there by birth, kind of took advantage of the fact that they were princes. Distin never does. He never forgets that he's a slave who's been made a son which I think behooves you and I to never forget in this relationship with God to say, by all rights, I come to this relationship a slave and you made me a child of the king. Which means, I'm just telling you, Dad, you can't ask me something that I would not do. You cannot have a request that would be too small or too great because I came to this relationship by all rights a slave and you made me a child. And I will never forget that. And I'll never have a day that I'm not grateful for that. And I forget who I am. Isn't that interesting? You were bought with a price and then made a child. Okay. Let's keep going. All right. Verse 8. I consider... Wrong book. Ephesians chapter 3. Verse 8, although I am less than the least of all of God's people, this grace was given me to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. Why does Paul say, I am the least of all? I am the least of all God's people. Why would he say that? Because at one time he had persecuted and killed Christians. Hmm. Yeah, this is, this is the Paul who used to be Saul. This is the guy who thought he was serving God by killing Christians. And stop and think about what that has to mean to the heart of Paul, who used to be Saul, when he finally becomes a Christian and realizes, I have been killing my brothers and sisters in Christ. I have been killing the followers of God in the name of God. And he never forgets this. He, matter of fact, you think about it. When, when Paul first goes into ministry, he has a horrible time. Matter of fact, that's part of the relationship that you read in Scripture where Barnabas is always there because Barnabas is always having to go into the church and convince them, hey, this is not some Roman trick. This isn't Paul trying to figure out how to get you to identify yourself as being a church so he can come back in a month and kill you all. And the early years of Paul's ministry, no one wanted to let him in. And that was despite the fact that Paul hadn't been killing Christians for more than seven years. And Paul never forgets this. He was notorious, and he knows every time he stands up in front of crowds, they're all going, okay, that's the Christian murderer. That's the guy who used to kill us. 
And so you find several times in Scripture, he comes back and he says, look, I, if there's anybody who does not deserve this, if there's anybody who has no right to be used of God in a spectacular way, I'm the guy. I, I already have blown chunks on this deal. And I, 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 it is amazing that God is using me, which I think is a couple encouragements. Because some of us have track records in the past, and we go, man, Lynn, you don't know how many years I wasted away from God, and you don't know how many evil decisions I've made and how many people I've wounded along my way before I finally figured God out. And you and I still feel guilty about that, and we go, man, I I don't know. And you just need to know, Paul becomes this living testimony that says, hey, God can take the worst of my worst, and if I will let him, he can use me to do the best of the best. Remember a few minutes ago we said, where would you rate Paul on the scale of a guy who follows Jesus? He's a 15. Well, why do you think Paul ends up being a 15? Because he remembers real clearly who he was before Jesus. And he spends the rest of his life saying, I'm, I'm going to turn that one around. And so with the same passion that he had fought against God and killed Christians, he brought that same passion to following God. So I just want to say to you that some, some of us in this room right now may be a little disheartened. You go, man, I... I I waited till I was 50 or I waited till I was 60. I, I, I just feel like I've wasted. You know what? The truth is, let's just be honest. You did. You wasted a lot of years. But it doesn't mean that God cannot do something remarkable in what you give him now. Paul is a living example of that. What, what else would Paul help us understand a little bit too? Besides the fact that, you know, you can turn and have a horrible life and come to a, another life. What else would he maybe help? Anything off the top of your head? To be a humble spirit? Yeah. What else? What other things could you catch maybe from Paul a little bit? All right, so let me ask you this. If, when, people, when people rate sin, how, how high up on the list does murder rate? Pretty high. So this guy is going into towns and killing hundreds of Christians in every town he goes to simply because they're Christians. Remind you a little bit about World War II and we're going to kill you just for being a Jew. Okay? And then this guy becomes a Christian. God forgives this. Not this one time. This hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of times. So here's... If Paul can be a Christian, who can't be? See, and I, I can't tell you how many times as a pastor, I'll have someone come and say, Lynn, I mean, can someone wait till they're on their deathbed and then ask Jesus in their heart? Well, yeah, they can. I mean, it's not a wise thing to do. It's kind of dumb. But, yeah, someone could live their entire life away from God, wait till the last moment, and because how, how bad do you have to be before God says no? And Paul becomes an amazing example that there's no one beyond recovery. There's no one beyond the grace of the cross. Yep. Hey, Earl. I was just thinking as you were saying that, it's kind of in man's eyes that murder is so important to God. Uh, a sin is a sin, whether it's, uh, you know, little or, or big. Uh, right. And so it... But people recognize, you know, if you're a murderer, you're pretty bad. But if you steal paper clips from work, well, you, you can't be very bad. Uh, I, I lean a little bit, we've said this before, I lean a little bit on the side that says, I do think God sees sins differently than other sins. 
and I've got to be careful when I say that because the one part I agree with you 100%, Earl, sin is sin. Sin is sin. Sin is sin. And how many sins does it take to keep me from heaven? One. So even, anyone who says, oh, I just told a white lie, I'm still going to heaven. No, you're not. Sin is sin. You told a white lie, you're not. It's sin, and that's too much. You're not going to heaven. But I think there's plenty of passages in Scripture that seem to say, hey, those of you that are in leadership, be careful how you lead because you'll receive a greater judgment if you cause people to fall away. I think there's passages that say, uh, be careful what you do with these little ones because if you cause a little one to stumble, you, it would be better for you that a millstone were hung about your neck and you were cast into the deep than you receive the judgment you're going to get for that. So I think, there's some, I think there is some discrimination with God about types of sins and what we do. But there's the counterpart in which you've said so well, Earl. Sin is sin. Sin is sin. There's no such thing as a good sin or an acceptable sin or a who cares sin. Sin is... Sin is just dark to the heart of God. There's no such thing as an okay sin. And that's where we get a little confused, I think, as humans. We start thinking there's, oh, that wasn't a big sin. No, that sin makes God nauseous there's no such thing as it's not that big a deal sin okay all right let's keep moving um verse nine and to make plain he's talking about the ministry that was given to him and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery which for ages past was kept hidden in god who created all things his intent was that now through the church the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in heavenly realms. Who are the rulers and authorities in heavenly realms? Angels. Okay, so, all right, so, so let me ask this. Think about this, okay? Verse 11. According to his eternal purpose, which he accomplished in Jesus. Okay, he says, so there was a plan of God that's been going on for a long time. His eternal purpose which was accomplished in Jesus. So this plan comes up, I mean, it, it lands at the cross, okay? In Christ Jesus our Lord, in Him... Uh, whoa, whoa, whoa. Oh, wait, I went too far. Okay. It was His intent that now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to His eternal purpose. I just read it backwards, okay? So what is it about the cross that was so big a deal for angels to see. Because we just said rulers and authorities in the heavenly places are angels. And it says here, it's been God's eternal purpose for them to see the cross. Isn't that what it just said? Well, the cross wasn't for them. So why, why was it a big deal to God that the angels see the cross? And, all right, and so as they, right, as they do that, okay, so as they begin to understand God's wisdom through the ages, what would you, what would you say the point of that was? What, was? what was the kind of the thesis statement God was trying to get through in that moment? Why was he so intrigued for the angels to see this happen? Is it because we, the angels worship God in heaven? Okay. I'm there. And, and as the angels worshiped God in heaven, what did some of them do? Some of them rebelled. There we go. That's what I, that's what I was going to Okay. Here's my question. 
Is it possible? Is it possible that God was trying to send a message? And maybe even in particular to the ones who rebelled. Grab, grab your Bibles real quick. Go with me to First Peter. Now, I'm just going to say out loud, I, this is my idea of what's happening here. I can't, I can't tell you for sure. This is, this is what I think it's saying. But let's go to First Peter. So it's going to be back to the right in your Bible. First Peter, chapter 1. Okay, so here it is. First Peter, chapter 1, starting in verse 10. It says, Concerning this salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you searched intently and with great care. Okay, so he says, all right, concerning this salvation, the prophets. Who are the prophets? Jeremiah was a prophet. He was also a bullfrog, but he was a prophet. Okay. Um, who else prophets? Elijah, Elisha, Haggai, Malachi. Okay, so Old Testament prophets, and they were prophesying about salvation. And remember we said earlier as we started this, they didn't completely get it. They were getting there, but they're getting this prophecy. They're being told that this salvation thing is coming. Okay? Concerning the salvation, the prophets who spoke by of the grace that was to come to you searched intently and with great care, trying to find out the time and circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted of the sufferings of the Christ and the glories that would follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves but you, and when they spoke of the things that have now been told to you by those who've been preaching the gospel, the go- what's the gospel? The good news, all right? And what is the good news? Okay, not just that the Gentiles can be saved. All men can be saved, okay? And so what, what are the essences of the gospel? If I'm going to tell somebody the gospel, what do I got to tell them? Christ was born, Christ died, Christ rose. Okay, big deal. All right, I'm, I'm with you on those three. What else do I need to know? Huh? Say it again. All have sinned. He's the Savior. Okay, so who cares if Jesus came to earth, died on a cross and rose, if you and I don't think we need a Savior? So part of that story has to be you have sinned. You can't fix it yourself. You can't go to church enough. You can't be baptized enough. You've sinned. He's a Savior. That's the gospel. That is the gospel. And any church that teaches that, so in other words, salvation in Jesus apart from works, they're teaching the gospel. They're teaching the essence, the most important part of Scripture. And you and I may disagree with other Christians about a lot of things, and we may choose to say, look, I really disagree with you about that, but the essence, the thing that you and I cannot agree to disagree on is the gospel. The gospel is men are sinners. They need a Savior. Jesus came died for your sins, rose again. That's the gospel. And if you believe that, you're a Christian. And if you don't believe that, you're not a Christian. Period. It's the gospel. Okay? All right. So here we go. And and guys, one of the reasons I say that, if you're ever sitting down with your child and your child says, I want to be a Christian, that's what you need to tell them. What we just said. They've got to understand and believe that. You're sitting with your neighbor and they say, hey, how do I become a Christ follower? That's what you tell them. Everybody's a sinner. Jesus is a savior. He came to earth. He died for your sins. He rose again. If you believe that, you can be in the family. That's the gospel. Okay? All right. So here we go. Preach the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Okay, and right here's the phrase I love. You ready? 
Even angels long to look into these things. Even angels long to look into these things. Why is salvation so intriguing to angels? Because they don't have it. Can an angel get saved? Can an angel get saved? Isn't that interesting? How is it that, in, that, I mean, you and I can get saved. You and I can, you and I make a million mistakes and we sin all over the place. And you and I can get saved. How come angels can't get saved? Isn't that interesting? Angels can't get, get saved. For one thing, Jesus didn't come to shed his blood for them. But they know already the power of God. They know God and his wisdom and his, they know him. So... They can't get saved. Okay. So I think, you, I think we just touched the answer. Here's the interesting thing. Think, think about this. And here's why. And here, so here's the reason we're talking about this. Remember the passage when we first started in Ephesians said, and God, basically it said, and God was making a statement that the rulers and authorities in the heavenlies would see when he did this salvation thing. Okay. Remember, it, that was basically the paraphrase just of it. So here's what I think that's talking about and going on. When angels were in heaven... Okay? <clears throat> there we go. Uh, when angels were in heaven, uh, they, they stood in the very presence of God. In other words, they, they saw God face to face. They knew exactly who He was. They saw His power. They saw His holiness. They were in His presence. And guys, think about this. Remember when Moses says, hey, God, let me look at you. And God says, no, 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 no. You can't look at you. You would die if you saw me in my holiness. Guys, I'm just telling you, you and I do not understand holiness and righteousness. And he says, Moses, if you saw me, he says, here's what I'll do, Moses. You put your face down in 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 that rock. I'll cover you it over with my hand. I'll walk by you. And once I walk by you, you can look at my backside. And as you can see, the remnant of my holiness. And do and, and you remember when Moses came down off the mountain after seeing the backside of God's holiness? Do you remember what was happening with Moses? He is glowing. Matter of fact, he's glowing so bright. And the, and the, the brightness of God's holiness still left on Moses. What did the Israelites say to him? Anyone remember? Cover your face. Cover your face. That's too convicted. We cannot look on that. Okay? So I'm, I'm just saying, guys, you and I, you and I don't understand. The, that's why, guys, when, when people who say, I'm a good person, and I'm going to go to heaven for being a good person, and now you're going to get to heaven with your 3,000, 4,000, 9,000 sins, but I'm, I was more good than I was bad. And then you stand in the presence of a holy God. Guess how long your argument of I'm a good person is going to last? Not a nanosecond. Not, not, you, you're not even going to open your mouth to say, but God, I'm good enough. Because when you stand in the presence of a holy God, your unrighteousness is just going to be exposed. See, I've got a feeling the white throne judgment in heaven doesn't take very long because I don't think too many people are pleading their case once they stand in the presence of God. I think they just go, I I get it. I spent all of my life saying I was good and I am vile. And you stand in the presence of a holy God. Okay? So here's the deal. 
Angels stood in the presence of God. They saw his power. They watched him create the universe. They saw his holiness. And for the angels that fell, what did they do? After having seen it face to face, eye to eye, clearly. They rejected. They said, no. No thanks. No. And God said, look. You stood in my presence. You knew exactly what was on the table. You, you get one time to decide that. One time. And it's done. Okay? So sealed in that decision. Here's the interesting thing, and here's why I think what the Scripture comes back and says, this thing of salvation mystifies angels. Well, first off is angels have never experienced salvation. But think about this, Okay? When angels stood in heaven before they made that decision, were angels holy or unholy? They were holy. So here they were. They were holy and they rejected. You and I as human beings living on the earth, holy or unholy? Unholy. And here's the interesting thing. And never having seen the presence of God, never having seen Him, we chose him. And I believe that in some ways you and I are God's apologetic. That God says to those angels, what you did was so wrong because you stood in my presence. You saw who I was. You knew who I was. And you chose not to have me. I will raise up a people who have never seen me who will choose me. And I think that's why the Bible says every time someone comes to Jesus, the angels in heaven rejoice. Because in them it's just this incredibly marvelous moment that a people who have never seen God choose God. Isn't that interesting? And, and you and I become this love story that I think they tell in heaven about a people who haven't seen him but have fallen in love with him. And it becomes, I think, in many ways, an argument to the demons that says, how wrong was what you did? You were my beloved. You were here. And you rejected me. And now I have a people who haven't seen me but have chosen me. I, I'm thinking maybe that's what it's talking about. Okay. Then we are at that 10-minute okay, point. Okay, we're at the 10 minutes. Okay. Um, okay. All right, so we're at the 10 minutes. Um, we'll go ahead and let me close in prayer real quick. Here's what I'm going to do. I'll stay 10 minutes after... Here's what I thought. Earl had a great question about sin, so I thought I would stay the 10 minutes after and answer the question about sin. And are there different types of sin, different degrees of sin? Anybody want to... Do you want to hear that? Okay, a couple do. So let's close in prayer. The ones that want to stay can stay. The rest of you can take off. All right, so let's do that. Hey, dear Lord Jesus, thank you for tonight. Thank you for a chance to be in your word and to study and uh, just to let you speak to us. And I I just ask God again that that your words would just seep into our hearts and our souls. And God, in the moments of life as we're trying to live for you, would you bring these conversations back to our hearts? Would you, would you remind us of the things that we've said together and, and cause us to live those moments better for you? And we ask you this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, we're going to take about a half a minute break, and then I'm going to tackle are all sins the same? Oh, real quick, guys, we'll try and get this done in just a couple minutes. Um, Here's the deal. You do not have to agree with me on this particular part of the conversation. And I will tell you very honestly, tons and tons and tons of theologians will not agree with me on this. Okay? They're all wrong, but that's okay. All right. So uh, here we go. Um, 
Many of us growing up in church have been told all of our lives that all sin is the same. Here's my challenge to that, and and, and I'll let you guys go do some research at home. I can't find a single verse in the Bible that says that. I cannot find anywhere that says that. Let me tell you why I think we began to teach that in church. I believe we began to teach that in church because of a of an imbalanced doctrine that was being taught in the Catholic Church. And what the Catholic Church was teaching was every single sin had kind of a measurement, and you would go to the priest, and the priest would say, okay, in order to be absolved from that sin, you have to do three Hail Marys. In order to be absolved from that sin, you've got to give a big donation to the church. And I think in reaction to that imbalance, we began to come back and say, no, 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 you can't do that, and you can't put, you know acts of service on top of sin, and all sin is the same. The problem is, at the end of the day, I can't find it biblically. I cannot find a single verse anywhere that even halfway says that all sin is the same. Now, here's here's what you do need to hear me say real quickly on this. And you guys have heard me use this illustration a bunch of times, so I won't spend a bunch of time on it. I believe when you start talking about degrees of sin, you've got to be careful because it's back to that whole bottle illustration of bottle of water. And if I tell you, hey, I put a spoonful of toilet water inside of your bottle of water, you don't want to drink it. I can argue all day long, but there's only one spoonful in there. One spoonful is too much. Does that make sense? So you're not hearing me say, you know, if you've only committed three sins, then good. That's not what you're hearing me say, because one spoonful of toilet water in a bottle of water is too much. One sin in your life is too much sin. Okay, so that's not what we're saying. But here's what I am saying. I do believe that there are different types of sins and they have different consequences. At least here on earth, and I don't know, but maybe after this earth. Here's here's where I get there and here's why. Um, Yeah, I I don't want to... There it is. Okay, I don't want to go there because that one's... There's a passage and what what he's talking about is is Jesus in Matthew is talking about, hey, be careful that you don't um, grieve the Holy Spirit because that sin will not be forgiven men. That's, That's a completely sideways conversation that... Easy answer for right here tonight is you and I cannot possibly commit that sin because Jesus is not here uh, doing miracles in our presence and we're denying that he's Messiah. You and I cannot do the unpardonable sin. But let, let's, let's go to a couple verses here that I think will help with this a little bit. Go with me to Matthew chapter 11. Matthew chapter 11, verse 21. Yeah, Matthew chapter 11, verse 21. Here's what it says. Woe to you, uh, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethesda. For the mer- if the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. I tell you, it will be more bearable for Tyre and Sidon on the day of judgment than for you. Didn't he just say what the sin that you just did, the rejection you just did, was greater than the rejection of those two towns? And you'll receive a greater judgment for having... Because what he's saying is, look, and what Jesus is saying in that passage is, look, you've got Messiah standing right here in front of you, offering you the kingdom. Tyre and Sidon didn't have that opportunity. So when you reject me and when you say no to me, you've had such a bigger opportunity and the the message has been that much clearer and you've still chosen to reject it, you're going to receive greater judgment than those guys. 
How can I get greater judgment if it wasn't a greater offense? But I tell you, this is verse 22, but I tell you it will be more bearable for Tyre and Sidon on the day of judgment than for you. And for Capernaum, you will be lifted up to the skies. No, I will, I will go down to the depths. If the miracles that have been performed in you had been performed in Sodom, it would have remained, they would have remained to this day. But I tell you that it will be more bearable for Sodom on the day of judgment than for you. Okay, so here's another passage. Uh, it's uh, Matthew chapter 18, verse 6. And I said this one a little bit earlier. Here's what it is. Matthew chapter 18, verse 6 says, uh, But if anyone causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a large millstone hung around his neck and he be drowned in the depths of the sea. Now, if every, sin's the, if every sin is the same and every sin... It would be better for you to have a mil- Why are we even having the conversation? I think Jesus here is saying, don't do this. This is going to re- be, you're going to have greater judgment over this issue in your life. Um, I'm trying to remember, what, anyone remember off the top of their head the passage in James, where that one is, that talks about, be careful those of you that de- desire to be teachers, knowing you'll receive a greater judgment. Anyone know that one offhand? No? Okay. So I'll take a look and try and find that one for us. So all I'm going to say is this, and I'm going to encourage you guys to go do some study. That's, that's what you do when you come to topics like this, is you and I have been told, I think, all of our lives that all sin is the same. I can't find the verse to back that conversation up. I, you and I can find probably ten verses like this in the Bible that say, if you do this, you'll receive a greater or a stricter judgment for having done it. Guys, I'm, I'm just going to tell you, and, and this is me, but... I'm okay with this. I, somebody molests a child. I, I think they're supposed to get a bigger spanking for that. I, I, that's just different, right? That's wrong. And, and, and it, I, I, I have no problem that God says, that grieved my heart at a greater level. All of it grieved my heart. But that was a greater grief. That was a greater wound to my heart that you would do that. Okay? As parents, you have children. They get a little sideways. They don't behave. They're a little cranky. They still need discipline, right? But that's different than when that child raises his fist and says, No! You're going to get a good spanking that day. You and I understand this, that there's, there's different attitudes and there's different degrees of rebellion. I think the Scripture says there's different spankings. I, I, you know what? I, I'm going to be honest with you. I don't want to get spanked the same way as the child molester. I don't want that spanking. I don't. I hope I don't get the same spanking as that person does for that type of disobedience. Okay? And I think Scripture supports it on the deal. Okay? So here's your homework. Go find the verse that says sin is all the same. And then we'll have a, we'll have a fun talk this week. Okay, we're ready? We're done? Thank you, guys.